Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today we are talking about the original sobriety podcast for women, or at least the original one for me, which is the bubble hour with Jean McCarthy. Jean is my guest today. She's a friend of mine. She's an award-winning blogger and podcaster who is best known as a voice for recovery advocacy. She's written several books on recovery, including a self-help series, The Unpickled Holiday Survival Guide, The Unpickled Prepare to be Alcohol-Free, Unpickled Recovery DIY, which is coming out in a bit, and a collection of poetry, The Ember Ever There. And I've interviewed Jean on a couple of occasions, so I am going to link to all of those in the show notes. And On the original Bubble Hour podcast, I was listening to it before I was sober. I was listening to it 10 years ago on my first sort of sustained sobriety attempt on many, many walks. And Jean, when I when I did finally quit drinking, interviewed me on the Bubble Hour. So I'll link to that, which shares my story too. But Jean's blog, Unpickled, began in 2011 and has continued to chronicle her alcohol-free lifestyle since her first day of sobriety. Thousands of readers credit Unpickled as the motivating factor in their decision to quit drinking. And Jean joined the Bubble Hour as co-host in 2013. She took over the weekly program and host in 2016. The show has devoted oh my gosh, over 300 episodes, I think I looked up to the subject of people telling their stories of addiction and recovery and has over 4.2 million downloads. It's just incredible. So Jean, welcome. Oh, thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. And the reason that we wanted to have this conversation is 
after 10 years of the bubble hour, that podcast has wound down. And I know that so many podcasts stop before they ever get started. They go a year, they go three, they go four years. I mean, 10 years, the amount of people in recovery, in sobriety, questioning their drinking, the number of stories you've told is amazing. And in winding that down, you've also created a book, Take Good Care, and a spinoff podcast to sort of pull the the diamonds from all of that work. Is that right? Yeah. I knew I didn't want the bubble hour to just fade into the distance or fizzle out. There's actually a phrase for it I heard this week. It's called pod fade when a podcast just kind of peters out, you know, trickles down to nothing. And I felt that the show meant so much to so many people. And I had so much gratitude for the community that kind of came together around that show. Because when you have a a storytelling podcast, you need to have a lot of guests, as you know. And, um, and people that are willing to, to open their heart and, and talk about their most vulnerable thing, uh, their most vulnerable moments, you know, one of the biggest decisions that we make in our life. And I just felt that wanted to wrap up the show in a way that honored the, the guests and the listeners and the whole magic of the bubble hour, because it felt to me like it was sort of bigger than the sum of its parts, you know, the impact of that whole project um, was just so big. I don't feel that that's because of me necessarily. I don't feel it's because of anything except that it just sort of had some kind of magic to it. And I wanted to end it in a way that honored that. So I created uh, a final season that was sort of the best of um, that looked back over the history of the show. And then even as I finished that and took you know, 350 hours of archive materials down to 10 hours of this sort of documentary, a 10 part documentary about the podcast. I thought, oh, okay, well, what do I do with the other 340 hours that are on the cutting room floor? There's just, you know, there's just so much good material here that, that I just sort of felt like I could keep playing with it. You know, it's almost like making a quilt or something out of beautiful pieces of material. So Yeah, so some of the anecdotes came out in a book called Take Good Care, which is kind of a a part reading, part meditation, part workbook. And then, yes, I'm continuing to mine the diamonds. I love how you said that uh, in tiny bubbles. So little little bits, because I think sometimes we just need a little quick hit. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've been listening to tiny bubbles and And I love how it is a quick hit. I mean, under 15 minutes of just inspiration. I mean, you know, this podcast is hour long episodes, which you get to learn pretty in depth about a topic or a guest or a subject. But sometimes you just need that quick, uplifting reminder of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And I think that's so valuable. Right? Yeah, I kind of wanted something that We've all been in the bathroom at a party, <laughs> hiding. Yes. Yes. So I wanted that or that you could just listen to on the way to something or maybe while you're doing your hair in the morning. You know, the hour long format is important. And, you know, you you probably have people tell you all the time, I listen to you on the treadmill. I listen yes. to you when I walk my dog. And there's, you know, there's a time and a place for different kinds of formats. And so yeah. I thought, well, this is, I hadn't seen anyone doing this yet. So I thought this was kind of a nice fit. And it's a fun change for me too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what is it about women and early sobriety and walking with podcasts? I mean, that, that was hours of my life. It's the best medicine when you Mm -hmm. are trying to make this huge change in your life to remember that you're not alone and to get tips and tricks and inspiration and hope and commiseration and to move your body and get fresh air. Right. And get out of the house and away from the yeah. routine that you're trying to break. Yeah. Yeah. So how in the book, let's talk about take good care. There are so, you know, you said 340 hours or something crazy of bubble hour content. And in this book, it's recovery readings inspired by all of that content. There 
are groups on, you know, chapters on growth and, you know, challenging old beliefs and patience with others. Like, how did you choose? Oh, my gosh. It was not easy. In order to to build the uh, last season, I went through this very interesting process. And uh, anyone that's worked on a podcast or even just listening to a bunch of podcasts will appreciate this. How the, how do you go through 350 hours of material to find the nuggets? How do you, like, where do you even start with that? So it took me a while to figure it out, but I ended up transcribing all of the episodes and then putting the transcriptions into a database. And then I was able to quickly scroll through them and find um, topics or anecdotes. And I would remember like, what was that funny story that somebody told about X, Y, Z, you know? And I thought like, didn't someone tell a funny story about a, I don't know, like chocolate bar, you know, so you could search chocolate bar in the database (laughs) and it would tell you all the time someone said that. Or if I was looking for something about marriage, I could search marriage and it would pull up all the times that someone mentioned that. So as I was learning to manipulate that database, that's when I was starting to find all of these little nuggets. And then I could either isolate them as a a clip for the series or to just kind of, you know, tuck them away for the book. So I, there was no real formal process. I just followed my heart. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to have each of the other co-hosts from the show represented and some of the memorable guests and um, some favorite stories that people would always mention back to me. You know, there's one one story that I included in the, uh, it's not in the book, it's in the season 10 about um, just this funny story about a, a gal named Shelly who was trying to quit sugar uh-huh. <laughs> and inadvertently quit drinking at the same time. And it's just one of those stories people always mention to me. And I thought, okay, I have to make sure that's in there. Yeah. Um, but the book is just, I just wanted it to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so I thought any story that just really gave me that warm feeling inside, I included that. Um, I put together some really beautiful artwork and just I just wanted it to be kind of a keepsake mm-hmm. book so that there was just another way to hang on to what people loved about the bubble hour. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. Well, question for you. Many, many people listening to this know of the name The Bubble Hour, but don't know why it's named that. And right in the start of Take Good Care, you your first writing is about the bubble. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it came from one of the original co-hosts named Lisa. And when she quit drinking, she knew that she had to protect herself at all costs. She knew she just, she just treasured her sobriety. And so she envisioned a bubble around herself. And she would just fill it with all kinds of good things. It might be chocolate, it might be bubble water, um, podcasts. And, and so uh, when they first started the show, it was started by friends, Ellie and Lisa. And um, Ellie loved this concept of the bubble that Lisa talked about. So she said, can we call our new podcast, The Bubble Hour? And um, and they talked about that, about 
putting this bubble around yourself and filling it with good things. And so the original intention of the show was that it would be something in your bubble, you know, another tool and to put your, put your headphones on and you are kind of in a little bubble. You're in your own little world of recovery encouragement. And so that was the original concept. And I love that idea. I've, I've actually had therapists mention that to me too, when you're, you know, when you're around people that you feel you need to, um, really hang on to your identity with, you know, the, the idea is to envision a bubble around yourself and in it are all your values and all your, your core beliefs that you treasure and things you love about yourself, the things you won't betray about yourself and you interact with people through that bubble. So it's a, it's a concept that transfers nicely to recovery. Well, and I think also, I mean, I definitely took to heart the idea of the bubble And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that when you stop drinking, you, you sort of lose that, that film or that bubble that's around you when you're drinking, you know, obviously when you've had a couple drinks, your reaction time is slowed. Things don't hit you as hard. You're sort of in your own head. And when you're in a hangover, it's the same way. So a lot of people, when they stop drinking, it feels like, their sort of outer layer of skin has been removed and everything's too loud and too fast and too much. So building this bubble is like, for me, it was sitting in my daughter's room, rocking her to sleep in the quiet with her sound machine on of waves or going to my bedroom and just reading or watching a show, sort of being in my own introverted space without a lot of external stimulation. Mm -hmm. I love that. And you know, when you talk about the idea that we kind of misuse alcohol as a form of a bubble or a shield, I kind of pictured that as you were saying it as being more like a fog, you know, it feels like you're in a bubble, but you're really in a fog. Yes. And, um, and it does feel really vulnerable when that's gone because then you realize yeah, I can see everyone and everyone can see me. And um, we sort of need to to kind of hunker down and protect And you were drinking to numb all these things and suddenly there's yeah. no space between you and the things you were trying to numb. So creating that sort of physical and emotional safe bubble, comforting bubble around you can really help. Yeah, it can. And of course, it's a play on words too, because, you know, we think of bubble, we immediately think of drinks. Mm -hmm. And um, so it is sort of maybe taking back the imagery too. And the same with tiny bubbles. I mean, the the phrase tiny bubbles was a song from the, I don't know, 50s, 60s about champagne, actually. And so I loved, do do you remember that? Um, Tiny bubbles in (laughs) the wine makes me feel happy, makes me feel fine. Um, (laughs) I think Don Ho was the singer. Oh, wow. Get a ukulele. So I thought I'm going to take back that word too, tiny bubbles. I'm going to take that back because we're the bubble hour. We can just have little bits of our, of our bubble. Yeah. And, um, and it's pretty fun. I feel like people get the play of it because I think fun is kind of what we miss at first because it is a lot of work and it does feel super serious. And even the word sober seems to imply that we're going to be serious all the time. Yeah. And we forget that we can be lighthearted and fun and playful and that we can, we can break things down into little pieces and just do a little at a time. We don't have to always be pushing the boulder uphill, you know? Yeah, no, I love that. And, you know, one of the things, I mean, I found the bubble hour in a very sort of roundabout convoluted way that I don't even know exactly how. So this was 10 years ago. And I think people who are coming to being curious about sobriety or questioning their relationship with drinking can't really even imagine how much less was out there at the time. You know, dry January wasn't really a thing. Neither was sober October. The non-alcoholic drink movement wasn't going on. There weren't sober TikTok and sober Instagram and all the things. And so, you know, I found the bubble hour and our favorite group that you actually dedicated part of this book to, you said to the penguins of the BFB, 
past, present, and future. And the BFB is the Booze Free Brigade. It's a secret private Facebook group where Gene and I met. And I think that's how I heard about the Bubble Hour originally. And it was, in my mind, sort of revolutionary. Uh, 12-step was not my path. I did try it. But hearing, being able to tap into stories of drinking and recovery, which is somewhat the basis of some meetings in a private way, but also hosted by women. I thought that was really amazing. Yeah, I think there, it it definitely is a female focused show. We made an effort to include men over the years, but I could see the audience demographic is 90% female and probably in terms of guests, maybe, you know, 25 to 30% of the guests were male. That would be probably a generous estimation. I really did try to get some male voices on there, but, um, because so many of the guests were listeners who got sober listening to the show and then wanted to give back by telling their story, um, just, you know, it sort of self, self selected a lot of female voices. But I do think that having female hosts for the show also, kind of got away from some of the notion of patriarchy that I think for a long time had been associated with recovery. And I think that um, that obviously has changed a lot over the years. But when we think back to the time that you're describing, and when before the internet exploded with recovery stories, um, and before I think a younger generation sort of stepped up and started living their life out loud in more ways than just recovery, just being very transparent about a lot of aspects of their lives. I think that prior to that, if you weren't sure if you needed to get help with your drinking and you wanted to hear other people talk about it, you know, you kind of had to go to a church basement and and get yourself in there and find the courage to go to a meeting. And I I wasn't in a position to do that emotionally when I quit drinking. So podcasts that told those kinds of stories really fed that part of our souls. And then, as you say, having female voices in them, it also sort of got the message out that this isn't just a male-dominated thing. Yeah. And as a woman, I appreciated that you did have some men on and some men listening, but I actually loved that it was so heavily women hosting, but also women's stories, mother's stories in very different places with very different histories of drinking and recovery. For me, it was amazing to hear stories of women like me who also drank like I did and yet stopped and told me life was better on the other side. And I think we need that, you know, In 12-step, they always say, look for the similarities, not the differences, but also hearing people whose life story is actually very similar to yours helps you relate to it and imagine what's possible for you as well. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think we, we need that. I mean, it's part of the stages of change. It's part of the contemplation and investigation is to look around and say, who has what I want? And if I do make this change in my life, what's it going to be like? And to get past our own assumptions. And so to have all those stories available helps people imagine what their life will be like after alcohol. And it is important to do that before you quit. That is a normal thing to do. So I'm I'm guessing that you have listeners uh, who are still drinking and who would feel apologetic about that or even feel ashamed to be listening to a recovery podcast knowing that they're still struggling. And you and I both know that that is part of the process, that we're glad you're here. We're glad you're listening. You're welcome. And we're with you. You know, we're all at different stages of this. And so for me as someone who quit drinking almost 12 years ago, I don't think, oh, I've got it. And someone listening who's still drinking and still hurting, they don't got it. So we, we, you know, (laughs) I'm not talking to them. No, I mean, that's that 
my heart sees your heart. I, I'm like physically feeling the pain of how it feels to be that person listening as I'm saying this to you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48. So if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. And, you know, the idea of like you're doing the work by listening to this, by listening to another show. I mean, you are doing the work. You're taking steps to evaluate if drinking's working for you, what else is out there, tips and tricks. You know, like I said, I think I heard the bubble hour and found the BFB 10 years ago. And this Saturday, actually, which is insane to me, um, three days is seven years for me. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. But I mean, there's three years in there of listening and tapping into resources and being a member of the BFB and getting some time and then going back out drinking. And, you know, I don't think there's any person who magically said, oh, drinking isn't good for me and immediately put it down and walked away in the culture and society we live in. Or if they do, they are a unicorn, which is amazing. But for many of us, it takes time. Yeah, it definitely does. And there's a lot of factors that contribute to that. I think, so, you know, some people really can put it down and walk away if they get the wake up call early enough in the trajectory. Mm-hmm. And if they have a good reserve of uh, recovery capital, you know, if they have a lot of a lot of sort of natural supports, then probably they can quit pretty early on and, and do it easily. But the f- the farther you go into the spectrum of addiction and also depending on the level of what your recovery capital is and that we can talk about that too but depending on those combination of those factors you know it it can take longer and and it can take a lot more effort mm-hmm. and that's not to say permission to keep drinking permission to not try i'm not saying that i'm just saying don't don't give up and don't feel ashamed of it because you're here and you're listening and you're doing the work. And that's, that is what matters and just keep showing up. And sometimes, yeah, you've got to put a lot of gas in the tank sometimes before it gets to the point where it starts to have, you know, what you need to get going. Mm-hmm. I'm really mixing up my metaphors there. <laughs> no, it, I'm, I'm following you. So um, <laughs> I hear you on that. Question for you. You mentioned, you know, your degree of recovery capital. Tell me what you mean by that. Well, it's a term that has really gained some momentum in the last few years because it it encapsulates something that I think we sort of danced around for a long time without really having good language for it. So it really refers to what like what do you have in your corner as you approach recovery? So, you know, do you have your basic needs met, first of all? You know, because we know that when we see someone who is really marginalized and is struggling to find secure housing and work. And, you know, if they're, if they're just struggling to get by, probably addiction is not going to be the first thing they need to address. They probably need to 
address like the food, the shelter, you know, the basics of like, so, you know, that's the very basic thing. But then, okay, how is your living situation? Are you living in a house full of people that are also in addiction? Or do you have people in your household that are going to support your recovery? So having people around you that support your recovery, that is a piece of recovery capital that you can leverage. If you don't have that at home, you have to get it somewhere else. And um, so we look at these things. So do you have access to mental health supports? Do you have, um, do you have uh, sort of all the pieces that you need to bring together and get yourself into recovery? And so what recovery programs do, like Smart Recovery, AA, Refuge Recovery, you know, we can go down the list. They're kind of a, um, a pre-packaged assembly of recovery capital that you can just plug into and get right to work. So if you're going to go your own way, you've got to kind of address all these bases of things that you need. And you need to address the, the physical uh, aspects of it, not just secure housing, but also safe detox, supervised detox in some capacity. Someone should probably know you're quitting. You should probably know what the risks are before you quit. You know, all of these things are are pieces of the puzzle that we have to bring together in order to successfully do this. Yeah, that makes sense. And when you are going through your book, I noticed they're different. So I sort of underline self-compassion and accountability and shining a light, the person who guides you forward on the recovery pathway. You know, were there a couple of things that you really inspired you to include these? Like who was the person who was shining the light for you on the recovery pathway? Oh, boy. There was a few bright lights for sure. I think at first, before I was really engaged, like before I really brought it into my life, I first looked at the celebrities that I knew were sober and, and read memoirs. And then who were they? Who were the ones that you sort that of I listened to? to? Uh, Michael J. Fox. I read, I, I listened to his autobiography too, because yeah. but- he was like my first crush in family ties way back in the day. Yeah, me too. Alex P. Keaton. So cute. That was one. And I also just read books by non-drinkers. Like I remember hearing that I think Tina Fey and Kathy Griffin, and I don't know, just celebrities that were disclosed that they didn't drink, even if they weren't necessarily in recovery. I was really fascinated by like, how do you not drink? Like I just couldn't. Yeah. I could not imagine how you don't. Like, what do you do? How do you negotiate life? Yeah. Yeah. Socialize. Yeah. What else is there? So, I mean, that's how deep the fog is (laughs) at that stage um, when you're in it so deep that I just could not even imagine what life would be like. So, I was trying to get a glimpse of that at first. And then the bubble hour actually was something I stumbled across early on. So those early hosts that I didn't know yet, they're in Boston. I'm in Canada, um, Boston. And oh, where's Lisa? She's in the South somewhere. Um, so she, uh, you know, these voices of, of women far away were really bright lights for me. And then all the people that they uh, interviewed as well. And um, so at first it was a lot of anonymous voices and I also listened to the Smart Recovery podcast mm-hmm. back then too. They they it wasn't like slick podcasting in 2011. Let me tell you, um, we didn't have all of these great things. You certainly couldn't see the person you were talking to, like I can see you now. But yeah, they were more like recorded presentations. I think some of the ones that I listened to, and um, probably the most important influence was that my dad had quit drinking before he was even married. So from the time I, from my, or one of my earliest memories is that one of my sisters said that our dad was an alcoholic and I was, I tattled on her and I said, you know, she says you're an alcoholic and you're not. And he goes, well, no, I am, but I don't drink because 
yeah, you have to quit drinking if you're an alcoholic. And so I can never, ever have a drink. And, and then I remember being scared that he would drink because mm-hmm. I'd never seen him drink. And, and he just like said, no, no, like, this is like, this is how it is. Uh, I'm just a non-drinker. I can't. So that was an early memory of mine. And my, my dad and I had some contentious years <laughs> later in life and, um, definitely left each other with a lot of, a lot of emotional scarring, but underneath it all, this, you know, that was a really important core lesson because for me, when I knew I had to quit drinking, when I, I knew in my soul that I, there was no, there was no moderation. There was not possible. I knew what that looked like. You know, I had seen it. And I think what I hadn't seen was the work of recovery. My dad was a sober person, but he wasn't into the selfie healthy stuff (laughs) that we are now. So I like to think I carried the ball a little further. And I think we all try to do that is, you know, we all try to advance things a little more. But um, yeah, I'm really grateful to him for that stability. And I'm I'm grateful that he quit drinking in the first place because uh, I think that would have made my life very different had I not grown up with a sober father. And I'm sure a lot of listeners can tell me that's true. Yeah. Question for you. I mean, we've talked many times uh, and I don't think that I've ever heard what helped you realize that you couldn't keep drinking or you didn't want to keep drinking. I've heard you interview so many women about their stories, but do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I think that I felt like I was slowly losing myself, first of all. And I I really drank to ease the discomfort of the difference between the emotional armor that I put on for the world, you know, the the coping skills that I used in life that worked really well for me and the me that I was kind of hiding underneath. And the distance between those two things became intolerable. And I could all day long pretend that I was this superwoman that did all the things. And, you know, I had a big job and kids and marriage and life. And I live in a small town and in a smaller city where, you know, when you're a business owner, you're kind of a celebrity, you kind of leverage the your visibility to promote your company. And so that felt to me. And so I felt like I was always on and I always had to be perfect, perfect, perfect. And um, I was always in coping mode. And I didn't know that you're not supposed to do that. I thought that there was something wrong with me for not finding that easy. Yeah. And the more that I kind of lived in that armor and felt that that was who people wanted me to be, the more I felt like, that the real me underneath didn't deserve love. And that if people knew who I really was and that I was nothing like this bigger image of myself, that they would um, not want to be with me. And I mean, that includes like my husband and my kids. I was really convinced in my heart that I was unlovable and unworthy. And that if I ever was exposed, that um, I would be alone and I would deserve it. I mean, I, my sons were teenagers and I really thought like, they're going to, they're going to be so disappointed when they learn that I'm like, just, you know, the mom that they have on a pedestal is really just kind of a piece of garbage. So that's a pretty sad place to, to live. And so wine helped me live with that discomfort because I stayed busy all day, but when I went to bed at night, you know, you you lay there and it's just you and yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I could keep my inner voices at bay all day long. But when I went to bed at night, there I was. And I would just like lay awake and cry or berate myself or just start looking over my day and thinking of all the things I did wrong. And so what I found was that wine was a very nice shortcut to fall asleep faster. And it, I became like terrified of not sleeping. I became terrified of being alone with myself in that way. And uh, which translated to, to sleep, right? Because that was when I had to stop. <laughs> I had to stop and sleep, which meant I had to face myself for a few minutes. 
And, and that was always uncomfortable. So basically, um, you know, at first just started drinking wine at bedtime as a sleep aid. And then it worked so well that I drank more and more. And I got to the point of timing a blackout to the second before my head hit the pillow. That was really my goal was to control just this controlled blackout. Isn't that crazy? Like the amount of effort and the conscious strategy involved in some of this. Yeah. I couldn't have explained it to you that way at the time. At the time. Yeah. I would have said, I'm very, very busy and I really need to sleep. And I just drink a little wine to help me sleep because I have to get up in six hours and do it all over again. Yeah. I wouldn't have told you. I I wouldn't have told myself the truth of why I was drinking. Yeah. But the it was becoming harder and harder and harder to thread that needle uh, of of managing the amount of alcohol that you need to consume because it escalates. Yeah. And um and it was a problem because also I was starting to crave alcohol earlier in the day. And then you're trying to manage it, you know, driving your kids to all the things that you just really want to go home and drink. Yeah. And then I was starting to wake up in the night too. So then that was a problem because, you know, you need to sleep. Yeah, I needed to sleep. And if I woke up, I would, again, berate myself. And also I had a new thing to add to the list of reasons that I hated myself, which was that I couldn't quit drinking. I couldn't manage my alcohol. Yeah. Right. So it was really snowballing. And um, yeah, it just, I was at the point where I was as I said, I knew a little something about alcoholism, uh, about addiction, uh, thanks to my dad. And I had this idea that, okay, so I know I can't quit drinking. That means I'm going to have to quit for life, you know, when I quit. But what is it that's going to make me quit? Something terrible is going to happen. And then I'm going to have to quit, right? That's what we think happens. I'm going to have, I'm going to hit a rock bottom and go to AA and quit drinking like everybody else does. And I thought, what is the rock bottom going to be? And I was so scared because I knew that, again, public image, you know, the big face for the world. How far am I going to fall socially, professionally? What am I going to lose? What is going to happen? Am I going to kill somebody in a car accident? Am I going to lose my license? Am I going to lose my family? Am I going to hurt myself, embarrass myself? Like, what is it? And so I was really consumed with the dread of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, don't I sound like a fun, fun person to be around? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. We all were right. We we're like, we're so oh God, drink. And then Jeez. you're like behind the smile, you know? Yeah, exactly. Cause I was, I was yada, 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 doing all the things to distract yeah. from my problems. So anyway, uh, I just had this epiphany at one point of like, oh, wait a minute. I do not need to wait until something happens. I could just quit. Yeah. And I sort of feel like all of these little, like I I just had all of these little emotional paper cuts or all these little red flags, just all of these little things kind of all of a sudden just burst into this awareness. So it wasn't like one big thing happened. It was more like there was just a tipping point of all the little things. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it, or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings, or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. 
the course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. And then um, I had that realization, and then I drank for two more days, and then I quit. Yeah. I love when you said, like, all these little paper cuts. I always call it, for me, like a death of a thousand cuts. And, you know, a, a image popped up on my phone, you know, those Facebook memories on Valentine's Day seven years ago. And it was me, you know, posting pictures of my husband and my adorable two-year-old and my adorable eight-year-old at this fancy resort, you know, happy Valentine's Day from whatever. And I looked at that date and I was like, that was four days before I quit drinking four days. And you would never know that I was at that point where I was like, shit, this is it. This is as, you know, I felt doomed. And yet the pictures are an Italian restaurant with this incredible sunset and my adorable children. And, you know, it's, it's a death of a thousand cuts. It's one more hangover. It's one more time not remembering stuff. It's one more 3 a.m. wake up where you finally just take that first step and tap into resources and then take the step again. And, you know, you never know. I did not know when I was, you know, taking pictures in Arizona at a fancy resort that four days later I would stop drinking. No idea. If you had asked me, I would have said absolutely not. And that's kind of what I think is amazing that you never know when it's going to stick. Because so many of us have a million times where we're like, I'm going to take a break. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to, you know, this is my bottom. This is low enough. I can't take this. And then, so if anyone's listening to this and is at that point, it could be four days from now, you know? Yeah. You don't know. That's right. It's so true. Because I, I was trying to quit every day. You know, I did start every day saying, okay, um, today I'm not going to drink. I wanted to every day for yeah. like, I, I can't even get I, hundreds of days a year. I, it was for sure years. So it was, it was hundreds of days Yeah, that I woke up and I would, I would think, t I would either think, well, I can't quit today because I have to go to a thing tonight or today's the day. I don't have anything on. I can, I can do it today. Yeah. And then I couldn't like by two o'clock, I would be inventing excuses why it wasn't going to be the day. Yeah. So I wanted it, but I also, um, I didn't understand that the reason why I started looking for reasons at two o'clock or, you know, noon or whatever, why I started renegotiating with myself was because I was like starting to withdraw physically. Yeah. And, um, I just didn't understand any of that, uh, because I also was in a lot of denial about how much I was drinking. And even when I look back at my early blogs, like I'll, I can see that I, really downplay how much I was drinking. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, cause I really wanted to be not too bad, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I kept, I kept trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing. But then there was some additional oomph. Like I think, I think I really realized that day of like, I can just quit. And I think I just had a kind of a moment of honesty with myself and I felt Something else, I felt like an excitement about the possibility of really doing it that I hadn't felt before. It was bigger than the fear. And I I did something that I had never done before, which was tell somebody. So I um my husband didn't know how much I was drinking. You know, no one knew. I was hiding it really well. How much were you drinking? Well, I I hate to say, cause it probably doesn't sound like a ton, but I mean, it was every night it was from four till midnight oh, okay. you know, every day. 
And I would have, usually I would put some margarita, a pre-mixed margarita in a tequila or in a coffee cup as soon as I got home from work. So I would start with that and then wine. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to, I knew if I drank a bottle of wine every night, that was going to be like, oh, that's bad. It's kind of like smoking a pack a day. So I stopped buying bottles and started buying boxes. So then I couldn't see how oh, yeah. it was, you know. And then I also, that's why I was also drinking tequila was so that then I wasn't drinking a bottle of wine yeah. in my mind. So um, I think I, I originally wrote that, you know, I only have two or three glasses of wine a night, but they were like fishbowl sized glasses and I was supplementing with other stuff. And then I would sometimes too just go and like pour a shot of whatever mm-hmm. um, scotch or something. Or, yeah. oh, I really liked, um, uh, wow, how can I not remember? Uh, it burned all the way down. <laughs> cognac. I liked oh, cognac okay. Yeah, uh, before bed too. So. I know. I love how we mix and match and are like, well, that doesn't count, you know? Yeah. That was just a little nightcap. It's just a little sip, more like cough medicine, you know? So <laughs> I was just playing all kinds of games with myself. But when I did the, um, I, I would do the online tests that we all do too. And even, even when I downplayed my drinking, it still put me in the top 1%, which was like uh, 34 or 36 drinks a week. Easily that. I mean, easily that. And that's without even measuring, you know, yeah. it's more if you measure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, have you ever seen how small five ounces is? I'm like, I, I've never seen a glass of wine that is five ounces. In my I life. know. That's you know, ridiculous. it's kind of like when you go to a restaurant and they, they give you a coffee cup that's like a little yeah coffee, like on a saucer. And you're, you think, well, just leave the pot because this is too small. Like I drink from a big cup. Yeah. Same for wine. Like to me, I only have a cup of coffee, but it's really like three servings of coffee. Same, same for wine. So I was drinking, um, uh, I was drinking such that, you know, my addiction was sort of, I was kind of in withdrawal by the afternoon and drinking in the evening and falling asleep at night. There are later stages of physical addiction where your body's really not metabolizing alcohol properly anymore and you can't predict what things are going to look like. I hadn't quite got to that stage yet. And I think that that did help me in that when I did quit drinking, I didn't realize how dangerous it was to just quit on your own. And I hadn't told anybody. And so I definitely do not recommend doing that. Now I know it's super, super dangerous. And you really should be aware of the risks and you need to be honest about how much you're drinking because you need to know what kind of risk you're putting yourself into when you quit and what kind of, um, what is like a, a a responsible way for you to quit. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know that. And, uh, luckily I made it through. Okay. And then the next, the, the first like few days I felt so physically unwell that it confirmed to me that I was, if you can believe it, dependent on alcohol, drink <laughs> daily for a decade. Yeah. Um, You're like, so that, that. <laughs> yeah. I know that it's- was one of those convincing things for me that, that helped me realize like, oh yeah, I really was. And then, like I said, I knew what to do. I knew that, okay, I really was addicted. That means I really cannot drink ever yeah. again. So did your husband support you when you told him? Well, I didn't tell him for 10 days. Okay. <laughs> and yes, he did support me. He did. And that was like one of the greatest things. I, I'm glad he, he took me seriously. And I think I was really, I was afraid of two things about telling people. First of all, I was afraid that they would tell me I didn't need to quit. And I knew I did. Uh, I, I just could not go on living like that. I think you could hear the sadness in my voice when I talked about what it felt like to be at that yeah. end stage of self-loathing and being so lost to myself and feeling so unlovable. I That was intolerable. But also, I was afraid people would say I didn't need to quit. And I was also afraid that he might say that he didn't want to be married to someone who didn't drink. And I also had to, I waited until I was certain that I mean, I was scared to tell him because I knew like, well, this is non-negotiable for me. I I can't, I can't not, not drink. 
yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> so if, uh, uh, that was a pretty scary thing because I had to, that was as scary as quitting drinking, honestly, was thinking this might end my marriage mm. and, and I have to, I, I don't have an option. And that could have kept you stuck for so long. I mean, I know for so many of us are, we drink a lot with our spouse. I know I did. We met when we were 23 and I quit drinking when I was 40. That was a long relationship of boozy nights. And it's scary. But then you also get to see that many times your fears that could have kept you stuck for years weren't realized. You know, it does change your relationship a little bit because I stopped pretending I was okay. So that, you know, that necessarily changed things because I had to start doing some things differently. And he did say like, what do you need from me? What does this mean for me? And so it does affect the spouse, you know, it has changed his life. He uh, goes out to the pub, meets his friends at the pub and has drinks there. But the person that was pouring him wine every night or beer every night at home, because I didn't want to drink alone, right? Yeah. I was kind of forcing it on him. So it, he, you know, he did have to change his patterns. And so he was willing to do that. So that was good. And I think, you know, in, in the long run, the, the important thing is that when, when I stopped believing that I was unlovable, I allowed myself to be loved mm. by my family. Like truly known and, and loved. Yeah. I, I started receiving that love. Yeah. And um, I think that maybe the difference is imperceptible to the people around us, but I, I feel like I became a much better participant in my family and in my life at that point. So even if no one else had changed, I had changed. So everything changed. So I had a a lot of healing to do and I still do. (laughs) I was telling you when I, when we first said hello, that I'm having one of those days where I'm like, oh my God, am I not done yet? I just, you know, sometimes it's, it's work and we just have to kind of keep showing up for it. But I'm glad that I am because, you know, as we say this, it brings me back. It makes me realize how far I've come and that what feels kind of uncomfortable and heavy today is really nothing compared to where I've been. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for telling us that story. I actually didn't know your story, which is funny because I've listened to so many hours of the bubble hour with you talking to other people and and jumping in with your own experience and advice and what you know and what you've been through but I but I had never heard you know what what your experience was why you decided to stop drinking and what it was like so thank you for that you're welcome thanks for asking <laughs> I know right you're so used to being on the other side of the mic so What's next for you? I know we were talking, you just got back from Australia and you're, you are having like just a moment in life where you're tired and reevaluating stuff. But I also know you've got another book and your tiny bubbles podcast. So, so what, what should we look forward to in the future? Well, I think when I, when I decided to wind down the bubble hour, one thing I was telling myself was that I just, I want to live my life. I want to, I want to give myself a little more of my time. Yeah. So I'm trying not to hurry up and fill it with too much else, but I'm, I'm bad about that. I, I'm a creative person. I always want to look for the next project and, and do those things, but, um, I will continue to do tiny bubbles for, you know, the next few years. I want to have a nice little stash of, of 15 minute episodes there that it's just a nice little, you know, yeah, injection, nice little of- stash in your toolbox. Yeah, and contribute to the resources out there. And I am uh, writing a new book right now in the Unpickled series. It's called Unpickled Recovery DIY. The Unpickled was my blog, 
And uh, I don't write so much on my blog anymore because the, the, everything's fast and furious in the beginning. There's so many yes. changes. Oh my but... God, you have so, it's so transformational. You have so many thoughts and firsts. And... Yeah, there's so much to say. And now it's now I sort of feel more like I'm this person who's like heard a lot of stories and I've just collected a lot of wisdom. And so I'm really feeling like my job right now is to just kind of organize and put together all of this material and, and information that I've had the privilege of, you know, holding space for and gathering and I'm trying to make it in a, into some useful organized offerings. So the Unpickled series takes, you know, a lot of the things that I learned over writing my blog and puts them into like shorter books. So one is about the Christmas holidays. One is about getting ready to be alcohol-free, prepare to be alcohol-free. And this new one is recovery DIY. And it really goes back to that recovery capital piece that we were talking about earlier and assessing your level of recovery capital for for people who you know want to go to a program and want to get sober using a program or using a coach like you they can definitely do that and um the DIY book is sort of more like let's look at the smorgasbord of offerings that are out there and here's all the spots that you're going to need to fill on your uh list of to-dos in recovery and here's all the a la carte ways that you could do that and then how to keep assessing so that you know if it if you do need to go and plug into a ready-made resource or ramp up your supports you know i'm actually going through that myself right now in that i was in australia for a month because my youngest son moved there for med school kind where did he move has to to? perth as oh far God. as you can go way on the far far yeah. side it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But to, for um, he's my youngest, and for him to move that far is, you know, just hard. Yeah. And then uh, I have another family member who's um, seriously, seriously ill right now and has some significant health challenges. That's been really, really emotional to navigate. And so that means that I don't have, you know, the energy to put into my recovery to reinforce my recovery that I normally do. And it, and I'm being depleted in these other directions too. And so I, you know, I lean on going to meetings, I lean on things. So I think that's important too, that we give people tools on how to kind of assess where you're at and when it's time to say, yes, I've got this DIY program, but what's my backup? Yep. And um, yeah, so that book will be coming out in 2023. And I'm excited about that. And yeah, I think then maybe just a little, a little slowing down. Yeah. Well, you have done a decade or more of great work to support just thousands and thousands. And I mean, my God, 4 million downloads of the bubble hour, probably more than that. So yeah, you deserve to rest and enjoy <laughs> life and you know, expand. So thank you for everything you've done. And I personally am really excited to see everything you will do. But you know, like we talked about, I went to Africa and took the month of July off last year. And that's amazing, too. It gives you a completely new perspective. And, you know, you stop drinking and you're meant to enjoy and explore life, right? And it's okay to slow down. Yeah, it is. And I think wholehearted living, it can feel like it's meant to be go, go, go. But yeah, slower and gentler. And uh, I just really want to show up for my family. That's what I feel like is is what I'm really looking forward to. And for myself, too. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I really love talking to you. Thanks, Casey. It's good to see you. And I'm glad that we're doing this together. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less 
and living more. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.